Welcome to Confessions, Convictions, and Conversations, a podcast exploring the cool Christian girl's guide to living in America. I'm your girl, April Davenport. I'll reveal to you a little personal testimony while merging ministry, education, and real life. We will also discuss current events with relevant figures of our time. It is the perfect blend of headline news, black girl magic, and of course, Jesus juice. Come with me on a journey you won't soon forget. So stay tuned, don't change the channel, and let's take a ride. Welcome to Confessions, Convictions, and Conversations. I'm your host, April Davenport. We are halfway through the first season of Confessions, Convictions, and Conversations, and I'm so glad to have you with me. I'm especially glad for today, episode six, because I have my friend and my soror here with me, Miss Asha Jackson. Asha, I'm so glad that you're here with me for episode six, Conversation Creating Our America. Before we get into today's episode, I'm going to have Asha tell you just a little bit about herself. First, I will tell you her title. She is Chief Judge of DeKalb Superior Court in DeKalb County, where I live, and she's doing a magnificent job. She's doing a great work in the county, not only in her specific role as Superior Court Judge, but through so many different programs. So we're so proud of the work that you're doing. Thank you so much for your service to DeKalb County. But I don't want to tell the story wrong, so I want you to tell us just a little bit about everything that you do in your role as Chief Judge or um, of Superior, DeKalb Superior Court. So tell us all about yourself. Well, first of all, April, thank you for having me. You know how much I love you and I appreciate the invitation to be here today. Thanks so much. Wish you nothing but the best and success <clears throat> in everything that you're doing, which is amazing stuff that we all get a, a front and first hand view of. So thank you for having me. Um, and as you said, I'm chief judge of the DeKalb Superior Court. So Superior Court is a court of general jurisdiction. Um, and so that means that we handle everything, family matters, um, all kinds of civil cases, whether they're business disputes or medical malpractice cases. Um, when questions of the law arise, people file uh, actions to have the court clarify the law in that particular area or to ascertain what their rights are. And then we do felony level criminal cases. So it's the really serious types of uh, cases that you would think of that would come before a court. So in my role as chief judge, uh, that is more of an administrative role. So I am, I would call myself sort of the master coordinator mm -hmm. <laughs> um, because I have to work with not just our class of court, but with the other classes of court, state court, magistrate court, probate court, juvenile court, um, and particularly during the pandemic, which we um, unfortunately have never had to face before. There's a lot of juggling of um, building issues and how best to protect the public and the staff and the courthouse, um, as well as how to uh, venture into some areas that we've never had to um, venture into, like how to conduct court hearings virtually. Uh, how do we have trials virtually? So those are all the things that I'm working on. Um, and to balance that, the wonderful things that I get to do as a Superior Court judge are adoption. So we had a mini adoption day yesterday. That was a lot of fun, um, obviously helping to make uh, forever families, 
Um, I founded our felony level mental health court in DeKalb County, and so I work with individuals who have persistent and severe mental illness um, for wraparound services and accountability to make sure that they are no longer committing crimes, um, and the nexus being the fact that they had an undiagnosed or untreated mental illness. So that's really important work for me. And then um, I founded Project Pinnacle, which is for young offenders that come before the court ages 17 to 26. Um, they are first time nonviolent felons, and so we wanted to remain that way, that they had that one incident. But with the intervention of community leaders like yourself and business leaders like yourself, um, I was able to develop a curriculum over the last eight years. I can't believe it's been that long. Um, and uh, help those young people really kind of understand who they are, walk into that, have the skill sets to be successful, and then to wa watch them be successful and to watch their cases dismissed uh, by agreement from the defense attorneys and our prosecutor. So that's what I do in my professional capacity as chief judge and judge in Superior Court. Wow, I mean, it's it seems like it's so much. I don't even know how you had time to meet with me today, but I'm still so very grateful. Um, but we are, um, I hope I speak on behalf of so many of the citizens of DeKalb County when I say that we're so grateful for the work that you do, not only as a judge of the court, um, but as a citizen of DeKalb County, because we know that the work goes far beyond the courtroom. And in mentioning some of the programs that you have founded and that you work with, um, in creating forever families, in working with Project Pinnacle, and um, working with um, those who suffer from mental health. We know that all of those programs are so important in helping to move the community along and further the work of the community. So thank you uh, for all of those things. Um, in today's conversation, when we're talking about creating our America, um, I wanted to discuss uh, a few different things because it's actually interesting that when I was in high school, um, I love law, all right, so I was on the debate team, um, I did mock trial, and so before I decided to actually become an English professor, I did kind of think about going to law school, and obviously I decided you to go. You know it's never too late. I know, okay. I, you know what, and my dad says I'm going to be a forever student, so who knows, I probably will get my law degree at one point in life. Um, whether or not I ever practice, I'll probably just do that at home when I'm uh, practicing with my little cousins, but um, we're so glad that you decided to become a lawyer and then a judge. Um, but in some previous episodes, I discussed uh, Hamilton, right? Because, you know, it's taken over the world in the past two months. Um, but I've also discussed kind of uh, law in terms of America and black America, right? So I wanted to have that conversation with you because I know that you're looking at it from a very different perspective, mm -hmm. obviously, because mm -hmm. you have um, taken an oath, right? To um, uphold the law as it is in the United United States Constitution and other important documents. So I wanted to get your perspective on some different things. So um, in an earlier episode, as I mentioned, I discussed the American Revolution and whether or not it was America's greatest mistake or America's greatest blessing. Mm -hmm. So if you think back to 1776, right, and when we declared our independence, what do you think about America's history? Well, I mean, I think it's no secret that um, you know, there are some very dark parts of our history, particularly as it pertains to people of color, um, because the promise of America was that everybody would have opportunity. And that was why there was a revolution. And so um, <clears throat> I think it goes without saying that 
it's a disappointment to see today that we're still struggling with some of the same, <coughs> excuse me, challenges um, that the then British controlled America struggled with when they, there was a need for a revolution. And I think to your point, that's why Hamilton is so popular because in the whole retelling of that story, there's so many parallels to uh, the same kinds of arguments that people are making today. I mean, who would have thought that that would be the case? Right. So that's disappointing. But talk of, talking a bit about the promise of America, it gives me hope that there are still so many people who are still so resilient, so beholden to being um, you know, creative and individualistic and uh, really thinking about how to make this country better. And that's what gives me hope, that there are still people in every generation who are not afraid to lift their voice and encourage us to continue to get to the America that we thought was promised uh, to all of us back in 1776. That's true. Um, so, I mean, if someone were to look at you, right, and obviously your story and um, the success that you've been able to gain in someone could say a very short time, um, obviously because, you know, you're kind of still young, right? And you've been Just able- Just kind of. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was still young. You're still young, I, yes. I guess, I'm, I guess I'm on the kindest <laughs> And you've been able to make a lot of headway, right? Mm -hmm. um, Someone might say that you have attained the American dream, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. um, so what made you get into law? So it's interesting for me because I don't have some big epiphany story mm -hmm. of having had an experience, honestly, right, right. That, <clears throat> that I felt I need to be a justice fighter. Um, it just was, I think, my natural curiosity to learn, and okay. it's still there and to think critically, because I believe that in my family, that's what I was taught. Always, always verify for yourself, research for yourself and think critically. Um, and so I've had time to reflect that that's been a, a tenant in our family, my family. Um, and I think maybe that's what drove the passion to ever want to be a lawyer to begin with, because my story, and I've told it everywhere um, repeatedly, is that when I was at an after-school program with a single mom in Southwest Atlanta at the YMCA, which is now the Andrew Walter and Andrew Young YMCA, or the Walter Young Andrew Walter Young YMCA, excuse me, we play court. And Judge Wapner was the judge of the People's Court. And everybody else talked about what the issue was going to be and who was going to be the lawyer and who was going to be the litigant. And I said, well, I'm going to be the judge. <laughs> and so um, I don't know. I just kind of always saw myself as being an intermediary who could resolve disputes, think critically about the issues, help people to kind of focus on what those issues are, and then work to resolution. And so um, that's not necessarily what drove me to be a lawyer, but it is what drove me to be a judge. Okay. Um, but in the, even in, in, in the years that I practiced law, um, you know, I, I like the art of advocacy. Advocacy is not just about going to law school and learning the history of the law and learning the rule of law. Those are important um, basic principles that every lawyer, every judge has to know to operate. But the art of advocacy, the art of the deal, um, it's so rewarding when you can um, understand and connect with your client um, and with integrity advocate on them on their behalf and reach a resolution. That's personally rewarding for me. Do you think that that's one of 
the misconceptions of law that people see it more as a barrier rather than its advocacy that you know people often kind of look at law as a misnomer maybe that they always see it as a form of imprisonment rather than something that can actually help because they don't know as much about it as you know they should you know because some people um, maybe you know for us you you encountered law at an early age I encountered law at an early age so we were able to learn more about it whereas maybe that's not everybody's experience so when they first encounter it it may be a negative experience so then they often view it in a negative light yeah and I, I hate that that happens um, because I do think that for most people um, they may in this lifetime have one encounter with a lawyer and you're right if it's a bad experience uh, it puts a bad taste in their mouth and you know people talk and so in your immediate circle you might go tell, tell 20 people about that um, and so then that starts to shape and frame what people think about the profession I still think it's the greatest profession um, because it is a profession of service I think people do lose sight of that sometimes some people are motivated by money some people are motivated by winning uh, when really it's a profession of service, and, um, and, and I think the real motivation and how the, um, the profession came about was because people needed help. They needed people to empathize with a position and help them figure out a problem. And if you're a logical thinker, I think that's why even on the LSAT exam, there are logic questions. Um, if you're a critical thinker, it really is intellectually rewarding if you start to shift and look at it that way. And so, um, yeah, I mean, the, the reality is, is in our profession, there's some professionalism issues. Um, and I really think that a lot of us are out here really trying to advocate um, that people uh, really return to the true meaning and the true reason why the profession was created to look at it from a perspective of service um, and start from that place, do the hard work, some folks don't want to do the work, and really try to empathize. And that's not to say that every single time that you have a client or a cause, you individually will be able to take that up. Lawyers are supposed to be able to separate, obviously, their personal convictions and so forth. But there are going to be times when those personal convictions are uh, in conflict with um, you know, a position that your client might want to take. And those are, those are issues that people have to work through every day. But at the, at the end of the day, um, it's a service. And so you should still be able to be in service to those people. If you can't help them, you, you, know, you're, you act with honesty and integrity and you tell them. Um, so I think decade after decade, you know, we kind of see America as a whole face you know, the same problems, right? We see issues of race, we see issues of class, um, we see issues of economics and education. Um, <clears throat> how do you, why do you think that we are continuing to see these same problems into our society, you know, decade after decade, um, especially when you're looking at it from your point of view, um, looking at it from a judge, you know, looking at it from the law perspective, because these issues kind of perpetuate themselves, right, especially in the courtroom, because mm -hmm. I think at the base of a lot of problems, you see race, right, you see class, you see economics. Sure. Well, you know, I don't know. I'm, I don't have a crystal ball and I can't get right. into people's <laughs> motivations, but, um, you know, obviously uh, those issues are pervasive even in our profession. 
Um, I think a lot of times individuals need to do a self-assessment about what moves or motivates us. Um, perhaps we need to stop looking uh, on the outside at what people have and what we think they're doing and making assumptions about people and start having conversations. Because to me, that is the only way that you start to break those barriers of race and socioeconomics and class down is to talk to people and to get to know people and to be intentional about it. Right. Um, you know, because I think we all have, even within a race, there are uh, unconscious biases, Certainly. even within a racial group. Um, and the only way that you start to break those barriers down is to talk to people. Certainly, certainly. Do you feel that um, you've encountered more or less of those problems in your career? Um, uh, probably more. Okay. You know, I, as I sit here, if I'm just going to be perfectly honest with myself, maybe um, because of the way society and sometimes the media paint people and communities, um, and groups, um, there are some biases that we all hold. I know that to be the case. And, and perhaps even myself have had to challenge the way that I've, I have come to think about certain things. Because in my profession now as a judge, all persons are to be equal um, in the law. And so all persons are to come before the court and to have a fair proceeding and to have an unbiased proceeding. It can't be 100% unbiased because, as you've pointed out, these are some of the societal issues right. that have persisted well before any of us were here. Right. Um, but I, I think I'm pretty deliberate to try to accord respect to people um, in terms of my application of the law, in terms of applying the black letter law, um, and in terms of creating a process and, and I've had to adjust. That's the blessing, I think, uh, for me at least, of having had so many experiences. I represented corporations uh, as a defense attorney when I was in private practice. And so I'm used to working with well-heeled, um, uh, you know, pretty well-funded mm -hmm. organizations. Mm -hmm. And then sometimes on the other side, maybe not so much. But having grown up in an inner city, gone to a large inner city high school, um, having the, um, the blessing and the privilege of doing some of this service work and being intentional, that's what I'm talking about, about interacting with different groups of people, it gives me a perspective, I think, that I can bring to bear on the bench when I have to deal with different groups of people. And I can tell when um, individuals from both sides um, are somehow missing that perspective. Right. I can tell, and then I try to do my level best to try to bring everybody back center uh, with the hope of kind of getting people to that place where they start to, um, I don't know, maybe even learn sometimes something maybe they didn't know about a group or, or a bias that they had. Well, it's interesting. I hear you, I hear you discussing uh, groups and I hear you discussing, you know, individuals, right? Mm -hmm. And then um, obviously, you know, the term all men are created equal, right? We've heard that throughout our lifetime, right? Mm -hmm. and, and like you say, even before our lifetime. Um, where do you think the brunt of the responsibility lies? Does it lie with the group 
the group of people, the race, right? If we're talking about the black race, right? Or the American people, or does it lie with the individual? Are we all responsible to ourselves to better society, to better the present? Or should we gather as a collective to do that? You know what I'm saying? So are we doing ourselves a disservice because we haven't unified enough? Mm -hmm. Or are we doing ourselves a disservice because we haven't all taken the individual responsibility to learn enough to do the self-assessment you know mm -hmm. so where does the brunt of the responsibility lie does it lie with the group or does it lie with the individual and I don't know if I can answer that because mm. I mean to be part of a group you are somewhat of an individual now right. if you choose to go into that group or you're born into the group or you're part of the group um, we all know there can be groupthink about certain topics and certain mm -hmm. things and certain opinions and beliefs so I would say you know if I had to choose there is an individual responsibility because just because you are part of a group by virtue of where you live or the color of your skin or your gender or your sexuality or whatever the, the class is, right. um, it doesn't mean that you have to adopt a certain group think. You know, the individual has a responsibility because all it takes is one person and then another person to keep doing this, to say, I'm not, I, I choose not to be part of this thought process that is not in furtherance of equality for people or in furtherance of tolerance for some people or in furtherance of uh, solving a problem, if you will. Um, and quite frankly, even the way that you go about solving that problem, right, because right. that there's group think around that. You know? Right. Um, so uh, so I, if I had to pick, I would say the individual, but you do need the group to eventually speak with one voice if we really are going to effectuate change for some of these issues. Right. And that's the part that, you know, I'm realistic. I don't know if that can happen because somebody may want to go about doing something very differently than I would. That's true. You know? And I mean, if we look at even just, <coughs> if we look at this year, right, and we take account of what has happened in this year with, um, you know, the shootings and the deaths, right, that have happened. And then we look at the protests, right, that have occurred. And we know that um, not everyone has agreed with the form of protests, right? Um, and um, I think it's especially interesting to look at it, you know, generationally, mm -hmm. right? Um, because even though the older generations almost created that form of protest, right? But they didn't necessarily create it in the form that it's happening now. Mm -hmm. Because um, even as some of the earlier protests that were happening, um, when I was watching it along with some of my older relatives, you know, some of them were frustrated at, you know, uh, some of like the looting and things of that nature that were happening um, because they just, you know, couldn't understand the destroying of property, right. you know, because they didn't feel like that achieved any specific end, right? right? So um, I think you see the dichotomy of the individual versus the group mm -hmm. then. Mm -hmm. um, and then if we look at where we are now, you know, and we kind of reflect back on all the protests, we, you know, we have to wonder, did it really mean anything? Did it help anything? You know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? Like, have we progressed at all, you know? And so, as we look at that and we look at where we are in America and then we have to you know determine where are we in black America mm -hmm. you know what i'm mm -hmm. saying and mm -hmm. so also is there a need to create a black america within america what do, what are your thoughts on yeah, that yeah i mean and that's a good that's a good question because i think a lot of black americans would say that the the struggle of the black american <clears throat> is 
unique and significantly different. Mm -hmm. uh, not to minimize uh, any other group or right. class that struggle, but it's a it's a it's a unique set of issues. Right. Um, and some people would even profess to set forth what those issues are. Mm -hmm. I don't know that that everybody will agree because um, you know we really are all part of the human race. That's the mm -hmm. bottom line. Exactly. Right? And so, um, but, you know, I don't know. I think, um, I think the goal, just as it was in 1776, right. is that we ought to be working to unify the human race. Yeah. That's what, that's what we ought to be working to. Um, having said that, though, um, I just don't think that you can minimize or erase some of the issues that are unique to black Americans in this country. And so I think, um, you know, being focused, um, perhaps having a unified plan to address those issues, um, then that would be okay to exist as a subset of the human race in terms of the agenda of, of a black America. Um, I just don't know what it will take to unify around that issue, just because I think there's so many schools of thought about what that ought to look like. I agree with that. Um, I definitely agree with that because I think that you have, if we're talking about black America, I think that there were issues that existed within, I, I don't want to use the term black, but I just think that there were issues that existed within our group race of people before America, and I'll just mm -hmm. leave that at that. But if we're talking about where we are now yeah, in the I mean, physical that's a space, complex issue because I, mean, I can sit here and break out more subgroups. Exactly. You know, there are. Somebody had asked me one time. You know, would you say that your struggle was more persistent as a Black American or an African American female? Right. So now we're now we're bringing the question of gender into the conversation. Right. But colonialism existed before. Um, America existed. Sure you see did. what I'm saying? Sure. So, but, but, and even in my family, I have one side of my family who's Caribbean. American. Right, right. So yeah. there's another subset of the black American culture where, um, you know, questions of blackness exist even with folks who are perhaps not born here. Precisely. You know? So it, 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 is, it is complex. And uh, I think, again, going back to the human race question, it can be done with dignity um, and recognition um, in some way to honor all of those subgroups. Right. Because yeah. that's what it is. People just want to be honored and recognized. And, I, and to yeah. me, that's how you really start that conversation. Well, what, you do you, what, what would you say then are the three most persistent, I won't even use the word great, but the most persistent challenges that we face in terms of inequality towards the human race and being able mm -hmm. to unify towards mm -hmm. the human race. Because I agree with you. I think that at the end of the day, people do just want to be recognized as an individual. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. just they want to be present. Well, as a human being. Yeah. You want to be respected. Yeah. You know? Um, you know, and I could sit here and rattle off all the things that all that politicians and, and the media right. says. Right. They talk about education, they talk about economic parity um, and, and safety. Um, but you know, I, again, I just think um, the things that we look on the outside and observe are that you want to walk out of your front door and you want to feel safe. You want to be a homeowner, you know, so that you can start to pass on a legacy mm -hmm. for yourself, your children and your grandchildren. 
um, and you want to have the ability to generate wealth. Right. I think access is very important. So access yes. is important. Yes, I okay, think but that would be important to anybody. But that 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 and how you achieve that, I think, should be at the top of the black agenda. Yeah. But now let me just peel back a little bit more. Mm -hmm. I mean, we've got some real deep seated traumas in our community. I don't think that's necessarily unique to the black experience, but the type of trauma that we have might be. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and so we've got to really address that. That's why um, founding that mental health court was so important to me, because, as you know, it wasn't talked about right. in a lot of black households. We didn't even know how to talk about it. We knew something was wrong, but we couldn't put a name or a voice to it. Right. So being educated about that is really critical because we've got to address some traumas. We have to address some traumas around how we spend, the things that we value, mm -hmm. um, the way that we speak, the right. way that we parent right. children or not parent children, the way that we treat elders, yes. um, relationships. Right. You know, Definitely. And, and, and I think that the way that our that we interact generationally, I think is very important sure, sure. Um, um, because you know, I think it shows a lack of unity within our race. But um, if you were never taught to do those things, certainly. that's not something you can look on the outside and do. Right. Because and then I'll tell you what happens because someone said this. And again, the beauty of DeKalb County is we're the most diverse county in mm -hmm. Georgia and probably one of the most diverse counties in the United States. Right. Um, and in fact, I think I saw some media uh, attention to that issue. So I get the I get a front row seat to watching all types of communities come into the courthouse for different types of disputes. And, and you know, without calling a group, I will say that there are certain groups that when they open businesses, they do not spend the profit from that business for the first several years. Precisely. The profits are reinvested and you must bring your relatives over so that they can also invest in those types of Precisely. businesses. And you are expected to invest into their businesses until right. they can pay you back. And then the chain continues on and on and mm -hmm. on. <clears throat> that is learned behavior. Right. And it's something that I don't know that um, that is part of the black race in America in terms of how we think about doing business. For I agree with that. I, I was I told a friend that Excuse in me. other cultures, uh, other races, when there is a family owned business, it is ingrained in younger subsets that they will they may go to college to get a skill set right or to get a degree but they will automatically work at that family-owned business there is like no other way however when you're looking at you know african americans and there is a family-owned business they will try everything else and make the family-owned business the last resort and then it you know dies out there's no one left to run there's no one else to run yeah. it and so you know we definitely i agree with you have to change our mode of thinking and it's not a fault to our community it's right. not it's just not something that was learned right so that to me is really critically important because I think that if people have as what do they say life liberty and the pursuit of happiness mm -hmm. if you can walk out your front door and be proud of where you live and your community is clean and safe for yourself and your children there's a sense of pride I think automatically in being in that type of environment I agree and, and, and the way to get there, because it's not just getting there, because there's all kind of ways to get there, right? Right. Um, but staying there and building that general, generationally, I think, um, becomes critically important to changing the game in this conversation mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that we're talking about in terms of what will move black America. Right, right. 
So I have to ask because it is an election year. It's 2020. I'm not going to ask you what you're going to do at the polls because we know that's private information. But we do know that our sister in the Divine Nine is um, on the ballot, mm -hmm. right, as vice presidential nominee, uh, Miss Kamala Harris. So what do you what do you foresee is going to happen in November? Are you worried? Are you confident? Are you on the fence? I'm just going to say personally, I'm on the fence because uh, in 2016, I would have never imagined what happened happened. So I just I don't know what's going to happen. Right. I'm excited to see her on, you know, the ticket, but I don't want to get my hopes up too high. So where are you? Right, right. So, you know, as a judge, um, our positions are nonpartisan. Mm -hmm. So I cannot campaign or endorse mm -hmm. a candidate. Mm -hmm. Let me just mm -hmm. say that. But what I will say is, um, you know, to, again, witness in this lifetime people mm -hmm. of color being on a major party ticket right. is really exciting yeah. for me. Yeah. Um, it gives my little girl hope, you Certainly. know, that she can, you know, see the news media and see women um, and women of color in particular making these pursuits mm -hmm. um, because that was not something that we saw growing up. Of and course. so, you know, people are, there, there's a visual sort of integration, if you will, that happens with people that if you grow up and you see that, um, it, it just becomes your norm. Right. Now, we had a little of it growing up here in Atlanta because Atlanta has a different type of power structure exactly. locally in terms of there being people of color in government historically. Mm -hmm. So we don't know any other way. Like you grow up seeing professionals around you and people in those positions and then you learn uh, what those positions are. And it, it just never occurred to me that I couldn't be a judge, quite frankly. And I do credit it to having grown up in that type of environment. And so the parallel to that is I am glad to see that our children get to see this in mm -hmm. their lifetime on a national scale. That's great. That is really exciting. And so for that reason, I am hopeful. Okay. Well, we will keep hope alive <laughs> and we will see what happens. And uh, we'll reconvene in January when, uh, in 2021 and we'll see what happens. But we appreciate your work to DeKalb County, uh, to the broader government of Georgia. And, you know, maybe one day we will see Judge Asha Jackson on a broader ticket. We just never know what the future holds. But thank you so much for all that you do for the citizens of DeKalb County. And we wish you nothing but success in the future. And maybe one day this pandemic will end oh, and you will be yes, back on your so. physical bench yes. um, running things in DeKalb County. But thank you again for your time today, for joining us at Confessions, Convictions and Conversations. We appreciate Absolutely. you and we will continue to do the work to try to create this America that our, for, our forefathers thought they were creating in 1776. So we'll see how that goes. There was something that you mentioned in your work towards mental health. Uh, this week is National Suicide Prevention Awareness Week. So it is our prayer that if there is someone out there who may be struggling with issues of mental health, who may be struggling with issues of suicide, that you will see God and that you will seek professional help. Absolutely. There are a number of resources out there. So you are not in the fight alone. We are here praying for you. Um, you may contact us and we will direct you in the right direction, but please don't make a decision for the short term that you think needs to end it in the long term. That's right. So thank you so much for joining us for episode six, Creating Our America. And thank you so much for being a part of April's Army. Please connect with me on social media so that I can learn more about you as you learn about me. And make sure you join us next week, same day, same time. And before you leave, I'd like to pray for you.
God, thank you so much for the people in my army. I appreciate them and I certainly appreciate you. Keep pushing, family. Thanks so much for tuning in to Confessions, Convictions, and Conversations. We are just getting started. So make sure to connect with me on social at AS Davenport and at Fresh Start Fridays. For more information on the podcast, please visit www.asdministries.org. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the show and be a part of April's Army. Remember, any time is a good time to confess the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, live by your own personal convictions, and it's always a great time to have a good conversation. I'm your girl, April Davenport. See you next time.